Welcome to the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast, where we invite you to pursue God, engage in community, and make a difference. Hey, good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm part of the teaching team here at Rainier View, and we are continuing our series today on discipleship, really exploring how we all can live out an everyday spirituality in our lives and understand this pathway of discipleship and how to walk it out again in our everyday lives. And so, uh, got me thinking about the fact that, man, we have become so dependent upon our maps on our phone, right, to get around and to navigate. Uh, and so sometimes I will think I know where I'm going, somewhere that's not a normal route, and I can, you know, not use the maps or turn it off. And so the other day I did that, and as I was driving, I missed the turn back to my house, and pretty quickly I realized wait a second, this isn't the street I want to be on. I was driving in a neighborhood, in an area I had never driven down before, and so I had to kind of figure out, pulling over, nope, turn around, get back, make the turn to get back home. Uh, and so maybe you've had that experience, right, of, of thinking you were going the right way, realizing you're off track, and getting back on track. Uh, now, again, the, the Maps feature on our phone has been a game changer great upgrade over the gigantic Thomas guide, if you remember that, right? This gigantic book with all the streets laid out, and you had to, like, search by these grid numbers and find exactly where you are. Or then we, you know, evolved to MapQuest, where every single time you had to drive somewhere that you didn't know where to go, you had to hop onto your desktop and print out on paper directions, all right? And so, uh, but we now have our maps, but we can still get uh, twisted around, and we can still miss out uh, on, again, figuring out where we need to go and arriving there again uh, on time. And so this got me thinking that really we don't have an app for the big questions of life. Like we have an app to direct us where to drive, how to get from point A to point B, but there's no app, right, that tells us how do I know what is truly right and wrong in my life in terms of a decision I might want to make. How do, I, how do I know like, what the purpose of life is? How do I know like, what the true meaning uh, and purpose of my life should be? And how do I discover that? There's not an app that can tell us that. Uh, and that's why we're in this series. That's why we want all of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, to explore what discipleship truly is, walking in the pathway of faith in the way of Jesus that others for thousands of years before us have walked. And so last week we had this big overview of these core disciplines, these practices that ought to be rhythms in our life. And we looked at those to see kind of the big picture of some of the things that need to be a regular part of our life if we're gonna walk out this uh, pathway of discipleship so we can experience in every day aspect of our spiritual lives. Uh, and so we, we call that, again, discipleship. And again, let me remind you of that is the call of following Jesus. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we see what Jesus invites us to, where we read this. Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so a disciple, that's simply just a follower, somebody who follows in the way of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And so before we can help others follow, as Jesus instructs us and commands us to, we have to make sure that we are following ourselves. 
And really pursuing God is one of the chief reasons why the church exists. This is one of the reasons why our local churches exist, to help us know and pursue and follow God. Now, it's not that if you come to church, you will understand everything there is to know about God. It's not that if you come to church long enough, every single one of your questions is going to be answered. That's not how it works. There is no worldview. There's no amount of study that can do that. But what practicing these, these practices and rhythms of discipleship will do is it will help you understand the most important things about God. It will help you make sense of those big questions of life and have a way of life to, to live those out. Uh, and so this is kind of, again, why we're in this series. So, but you might be sitting there thinking, okay, but how do I actually live this discipleship and it leading to an everyday spirituality? Like, how do I do this in my everyday life? Because for too many of us, our experience of going to, to kind of read the Bible is, man, it's just confusing. We don't understand what we read here. Or we go to pray and all we seem to experience is silence. We come to church and everybody else seems so engaged and we just maybe don't get it. And so it can cause us to maybe wonder if we're doing it right. And after a while, those, destruction, the, those uh, distractions can take us away from even trying to engage with faith in the first place. And that is the last thing that we want any of you to do. It's one of the reasons why we do encourage you to read the Bible and to, to maybe start with looking at some of the examples of others who've gone before us. There are things that are confusing here. Pay attention to the examples of others. How can you trust like they trusted? How can you act like they acted? Uh, and so that's what we're going to do today as we continue in our series on discipleship. And we're looking at the example of Joshua. And so you can open up in your Bible, open up to the sixth book in. It's the book of Joshua. Uh, so it's, you know, named really easy for you to find there. Uh, and it's located in the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to pick up at the very beginning in chapter one, where Joshua is taking up the mantle of leadership after Moses. Okay. How do you follow up leading after Moses, the guy who, who uh, again, uh, levied 10 plagues against Egypt, the guy who led millions of people out of slavery into freedom, the guy whom God used to part the waters of the Red Sea, to lead these millions of people across dry land, and then the waters close back up and, and wipe out Pharaoh's army and his chariots, right? Like, how do you follow up leading after that person? Think about what would be on Moses' tombstone if he had one. This is what it says of Moses in the Bible. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so if I'm Joshua, and I'm like, I got to follow up after this guy? <laughs> there is no way that I'm going to live up to the expectations, the standard, uh, what Moses experienced, okay? But Joshua doesn't have to, because Joshua knows how to follow in the practices, the rhythms that all of God's people were invited to. Joshua doesn't have to put on the, the weight and the armor of being Moses. He doesn't have to live up to that expectation, but Joshua did, and we're going to see, know how to pursue God consistently in his life. 
It's one of the things we talk about here at Rainier View. We want to be a people who pursue God regularly and consistently. Uh, and so we're going to see some of these, these practices that we looked at last week exemplified by Joshua as we take a look at his life. Because Joshua could have been, right, like, man, Moses, you had all these amazing things that God did in your life, and so man, faith just must not be for me because this isn't gonna, it's not going to work the same way. It would have been easy to view faith that way. And it could be easy for us to view faith that way too. Well, that's just not for me. Reading the Bible, praying, all that stuff isn't for me because it just doesn't seem to work like it works in other people's life. Just like Joshua could look at the example of Moses and be like, man, my experience of pursuing God is not looking like what Moses experienced, but he doesn't give up. He continues to lead. He continues to pursue God and help other people follow. And so we got to do the same thing because if we learn to live out an everyday spirituality, which we call discipleship here, it starts with knowing that the God of the universe loves you and cares for you and is truly there. That this God can be known and trusted in our everyday lives, not through these spectacular Moses-like moments, but instead through these still small moments that come through practicing these disciplines, these rhythms in, in our life again and again and again. This is really what, what we're invited to embrace in our own lives as well. And so as we look at, in a moment here at Joshua 1, we're going to see that Joshua exemplifies some of the things we talked about last week of daily engaging with God's word, of daily finding a, a rhythm of prayer for our life, and that, that leads us to living a surrendered life each and every day to God's ways over our own ways. And so um, let's go ahead and jump right in and see Joshua's example. We're going to pick up in Joshua 1, verse 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn to it from the, to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law on your lips always. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so we open by seeing this, this kind of, maybe we just glance over it, right? But this line that says what? The Lord said to Joshua. And you're like, there you go. God doesn't speak to me in an audible voice. How might this, uh, again, uh, connect to my life? Because maybe we have in, a, in the background of our minds a lot of people who've used that line. Oh, I heard from the Lord, right? 
And what they heard from the Lord doesn't line up with this, and it doesn't line up with the character that God wants for us. And so we can kind of be turned off to that, right? That, that well, if that's what prayer is, then I don't want any part in uh, just assigning God's name to doing whatever I want, right? Uh, and that's not what prayer is about. I think that this is a good reminder that we have to understand the context of this passage, that this was not just a Joshua and the Lord thing alone, that our faith is something always meant to be lived out in community. This was 40 years of God's people being prepared and led and being ready to step into the promised land. And so this is so much more than just God and Joshua. This is something that he's doing in community with the people of God. Uh, And so there's some aspects, though, that help him be such an example in this moment. And the first is that Joshua, we read in another book of the Bible, is somebody who wholeheartedly pursues God in his life. In Numbers 32, we read this. The only exceptions are Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholeheartedly followed the Lord. In this idea of wholehearted following of the Lord, uh, that, that Joshua and Caleb here, they, they really exemplify what discipleship really is in its purest form at its core. It's about not seeking to do what I want, not making my life about what I want, but seeking to follow the will of God in my life, to, to live the kind of life that God wants me to, to trust him where he's leading, even when it's scary, even when it's unknown, even when there are challenges and we're not sure how we're going to face them. It's trusting. It's learning to surrender my life. And that's what Joshua did consistently throughout his life. It's what allowed him to lead his people uh, into this promised land. And that, that kind of surrendered life is a life that only comes through prayer. Talk about the interconnectedness of these practices of discipleship. And prayer is part of that. In a, in a few chapters prior in the book of Numbers, in chapter 27, we read this of Joshua. It says, the Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. And so this is a little bit of, uh, of inference here, but man, the only way that Joshua was known as somebody who, man, God's spirit was at work in, in, inside him is through prayer, is through seeking God's face and seeking a relationship with him. And so we know that he was a, an individual who embraced prayer in his life because, again, that inner work uh, and that, that, that life with God that he was pursuing internally was something that worked out externally into his life and was an example to others. Now, we may mistakenly believe that, that prayer somehow is like waiting around for God to audibly speak. Now, I know many of us are like, yeah, we get that. But I found far too many people think that like they're waiting to literally hear God speak something. And that is simply not how God tends to, to speak to us in prayer. Remember, even in the Bible, God speaking in an audible voice is something that is incredibly rare. We look at the example of Moses, and if we think that Moses' relationship with God is something that we should emulate, no. Again, the verse we looked at earlier, it, it said, there is no one like Moses, uh, you know, from that time onward. And so we need, to, we need to understand that prayer, when we, we talk about as followers of Jesus, we talk about discipleship, hearing from God, what we mean by that is we get this strong inner sense that there is something that God is inviting us to do or there's some action 
or, or word that we are supposed to speak to somebody else, or again, some way that we're supposed to serve others, or to follow where God's leading. Now, how do we know it's prayer and, and God leading us and not just what we want to do? That's an excellent question. Knowing how God's leading you internally through that inner sense in prayer is that, first of all, it's going to be in line with his word and God's character. God's going to lead us into greater love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Any, any direction that moves in that direction, we can have a good level of confidence that that's where God wants us to go and where he's leading us. Uh, but often, right, prayer, where we're praying with God and we have this inner sense, it's, it's about leading us to show up or serve somebody and focus on their good, often at the expense of ourselves. Like, if it's something that you don't necessarily want to do, it's a good indication that God is speaking to you through prayer. And so I wonder for so many of us, have we been sitting on something maybe for years that you know God wants you to do, and you just simply have not taken the step to act on it? Stop waiting. This is, this is why daily prayer is so important, because if we're praying daily and God's bringing it up daily, it's really hard to just keep kicking it down the road week after week, month after month, year after year. And so we see daily prayer is something that shaped Joshua's life, that can shape our life in this pathway of discipleship and everyday spirituality. Another key practice is the, the commitment to engaging with God's word daily. And we see this in the passage that we read earlier, but I want to go back to it in Joshua 1.8. We read, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Now, the book of the law up to this point in time uh, was God's word that was given to uh, the people of ancient Israel at the time. So we have a fuller revelation, a more complete revelation that's the ultimate fulfillment is in the person and the work of Jesus. But this time, Joshua is trusting in what God had revealed to him up to that point. Uh, and so in Joshua's time, it's what we refer to now as they were living under the old covenant. In Jesus, we live under a new covenant. And so we've got to keep those two things straight. When we read as followers of Jesus, the Old Testament, what is time-bound just for the people of ancient Israel, and then what is timeless. Uh, and so some things that fall under the old covenant don't apply to us today, uh, right? So like we don't do animal sacrifice. Why? Old covenant, right? But there are some things that are timeless, like daily engaging with God's word. That is something that carries forward that we still need to engage with and continue. Uh, and so God instructs Joshua to do what? To meditate upon God's word, not to rush it, but to allow God's word to speak to us by slowly considering it, okay? And so there's another term that, that will maybe help you with this. Um, it's this term rumination. Now, my wife, Amy, she is a uh, behavioral therapist, and so she has her own practice providing therapy mostly for kids who have autism and works exclusively with military families. And so, you know, she'll, she'll work with all sorts of clients, all sorts of different, um, different behaviors that she works with, and there's all this language, right? Every field has its own language and uses words a certain way. And so in her field, rumination has a very specific context. Uh, and so I wish I actually had a less gross way to talk about biblical meditation, but this just, this is the way that it clicked for me, and so I hope it'll click for you. Um, rumination in my wife Amy's field 
uh, is when an individual or a child will continue to chew and chew and chew and chew on a piece of food, but never swallow it or spit it out. And so sometimes a child can, unbeknownst to everybody else, squirrel away a little piece of food and a little pocket of food uh, up, in the, up in the corner of their mouth, and it can sit there for a long, long time until a dental infection takes place, right? This, this little bit of food can stay there for a long time until there's an effect, infection, right? Now, again, you're, some of you are like, you're, you're grossed out. You're like, I can't believe, like, why did you put this picture in my head? Put this picture in your head because this is how biblical meditation works. If we continually turn God's word, a small piece of it, in our minds and sit with it and allow it to speak to us, it will have an effect on our heart and our mind. Just the same way, like that little bit of food, if it stays stuck up in there, it will have an effect. Meditating on God's word works the same way. It will have this effect on our lives. And so how then, though, do I practice meditation and as an everyday part of my life. Isn't that something just for monks who sit on a mountain in silence for, you know, like their entire lives? No. Let me, let me just give you a simple, easy example of where to begin with this. So take a verse or maybe a passage, uh, and you just take five minutes to slowly consider it and ask God what it means for your life. Like a passage like Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. What might change for you if you just took five minutes a day to just sit with this passage and allow it to speak to you? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe if we learn to sit with a passage like that, even just for five minutes a day, man, what would the, what would the difference be upon our, our mental health, upon our perspective, upon our gratitude, upon the way that we see God work and be alive and active in our lives? I believe it would have a big impact on our lives if we learn to meditate like Joshua does. Now, we have to learn the, the big difference between biblical meditation and the very culturally splashy word that is used to describe a lot of things, which is mindfulness today. Mindfulness is, is very in vogue, a very, very popular thing to talk about. Um, but the difference of biblical meditation is choosing to fill my mind with a, a small bit of God's word to allow it to speak to me. Mindfulness really much more is about rem removing thoughts, removing distractions, calming our minds, not thinking about something. Now, to meditate, that can be helpful because we have so many, we have so many distractions running through our minds, right? We have so many, you know, just external distractions as well as internal thoughts that just kind of are constantly swirling that we do need to learn to pause and like let that calm down. But that is not enough in and of itself just to try and calm the distractions. We need to be considering what we are filling our minds with. And so, again, mindfulness falls short of the goal of biblical meditation, which is truly filling our minds and learning to listen to the God of the universe and recognize that I don't have within myself all that I need. This is the major difference of biblical meditation, that what I, what I need to do is surrender my will to the one who created it all. 
and I'm, and I'm putting myself in a position to truly consider what he has to say to me. And so, again, uh, I love how interconnected all these practices are, that engaging with God's word, prayer, it leads to what Joshua really exemplifies to us in this passage, is living a surrendered life, to trust God to lead where, where he asks us to go. Back at, in verse 2 of Joshua 1, we read this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. This is a scary undertaking, but Joshua knew God could be trusted. See, just a few verses later, this encouragement that Joshua is given and can be an encouragement for you and I today. In uh, verse 9, again, let's read. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know, we don't get strength and confidence before stepping out in obedience. Strength and confidence come as a result of stepping out, as a result of following. Just like everything else in our life, this, this principle works just the same way, whether it's exercise or diet or, or growing in our professional life or completing a course of study, right? Like, you, you don't get the reward before you get the, the work that you put in. It's the same way in our, in our discipleship. If we want a spiritual life that, that works on a daily level, we have to learn to, again, step out in obedience and trust, and then we're going to see the confidence grow. Now, again, the promise to ancient Israel is not the same as the promise to you and I today as followers of Jesus. Uh, but the, the rhythm of living out our faith, the example that Joshua set is something that we can, uh, that we can emulate, uh, that we need to, again, live surrendered lives just like Joshua does. Again, we need to actually obey even when it costs us something. To help us with this, I just want to look at a few verses out of the letter to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. Again, and that, the, the commands written to that first century church are just as applicable to you and I today to figure out how to live out an everyday spirituality. That means there's some things that we have to surrender, some ways of living that we would rather not give up. God says, no, no, I want you to live in my ways on the paths that I have set for you, for your good and for the good of others. And so let's take a look at just a small piece of some of those areas of our life that we may need to surrender and choose God, God's ways over our ways. In Ephesians uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 30, we read this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And so discipleship and everyday spirit, uh, living in everyday spirituality, that requires this discipline of daily surrendering our lives to God's ways over our own ways. It's not optional to keep growing, right? And that touches on all aspects of our life, 
from something as seemingly benign to us as bitterness, right? Like God's way says, no, you can't hold on to that bitterness. You've got to process that and bring that before the Lord and for, uh, before other trusted people so that you're not carrying that weight around with you. But do we just say, no, I, I, I can't go there. I don't want to give this up. I can't forgive that person. We hang on to that bitterness. Are we going to surrender our lives daily? What about the command, right, uh, no, to avoid all sexual immorality, right? Man, pursuing God's way, surrendering our life is going to cost us when it's like we're going to reserve sex only for marriage, within, within the, the safety and the confines of the, uh, the marriage relationship and commitment, and say, no, sex outside of that is not going to be okay if we're going to surrender to God's ways. Whew. Some of us need to hear that and consider that and wrestle with that today. Or even just that, that part there where it said, hey, to avoid greed, right? To surrender our lives to God's ways mean we consider our, our generous and sacrificial giving, financial giving, in order to, in part, to avoid greed, right? So you, we can see really just from this one passage, man, the, the challenge, the hard work that it takes to daily surrender our lives, but again, it's for our good and for the good of others. God has good things in store for us. Just like as Joshua was looking at the River Jordan and he's looking across where God's people want to go and God had something good in store for them. When we engage with God's ways, God has good things in store for us today as well. But we have to be reminded of the call of discipleship. Where Jesus says what in Luke 9? Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And these are really the countercultural invitations to live a life of discipleship that is different and yet leads us to everything that we want to experience more of in our lives. More meaning, more purpose, more belonging, more hope. Right? These are the things that come from practicing discipleship. And again, I want to be very clear what I mean by that. That's such a broad term. It's this core set of practices, these rhythms that we need to build into our lives. That's part of the, the, the foundation of what discipleship looks like and means in our lives. But let me ask a question. What happens when we don't follow? What's the big deal for not choosing to walk a pathway of discipleship to experience an everyday spirituality? In essence, what's the cost of non-discipleship? Well, I think that it leads us to, again, not only for ourselves to experience less of the goodness of God, but that other people miss out on the goodness of God in their lives. Man, what might we miss if we don't learn to walk the path of discipleship that Jesus invites us to walk on? And so let me give you an example from the intersection of my own life and the life of our church and how this can work out. And this struggle around, again, surrendering our lives to God's ways, okay? Um, so back in uh, about 2019, we began to, as a, as a church staff, really seriously have discussions around, man, like we, we sense God leading us to become a more multi-ethnic church, that we live in communities that are, that are quite diverse, and yet like our church, like many churches, is very homogeneous. It, it just looks like predominantly one ethnic group. And yet when we read in the Bible, when we read in the New Testament, man, we see in, in the first century, 
when churches are established, they're, they're drawing people from all different ethnic backgrounds who used to be uh, just, uh, again, with their, with their own group, but the church brings people from all over. And so what are we missing in our context where we have all this diversity in our workplaces, in our schools, and in the neighborhoods around us, and then it's not reflected in our church? Man, like, we, we've got we've to pursue this vision uh, uh, of the early church and make it more look like what we are doing now. And so we're having these discussions, and I'm having none of it up here, okay? Now, when there's a strong reaction, right, there's usually a a previous hurt, there's a previous story tied to it. Uh, Because in my prior church, we had had discovered the same things, okay? Um, I was back on the East Coast. I was uh, in a community that was uh, very divided, uh, still around neighborhoods that were predominantly white and neighborhoods that are predominantly black, but yet many of these neighborhoods uh, surrounded and were in proximity to our church. And so as a church, we said, well, we want to be able to reach our city. And so we've got to be intentional about uh, looking like that. And so this led to uh, us deciding, hey, we, we, need to, we need to really partner together. And so we merged um, with, a, with a smaller African-American church and our predominantly uh, white church. And, and at the beginning, everyone's like, oh, this is so great. This is so wonderful. Uh, until we actually did it. <laughs> and I can't get into all the details of that story right now, uh, but let me just say it did not go well, in part, a large part, just because of a lot of naivete around how easy this, this would have been, uh, a lot of blind spots that, that we weren't aware of stepping into this. And so when in that season, once I, once I left and I moved back to the West Coast, for me, it just felt like a failure. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of, of hurt that, that came out of something that should have been beautiful and a lot of people just leaving and bailing on this, this beautiful idea before it even really got started. And so I'm looking at that and, and in my mind, there's a script that says, as an established church, you shouldn't try and do this. That's for somebody else to do. Somebody else can start something new. But like an established church, like, no, you, you, just, you just work with you have, and, and you don't try and do any of this stuff. And so we're having all these discussions, and everyone's like, yeah, it's going to be great. We should, we should go. And, and so I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, are you, like, are you really ready to lose your job over this? <laughs> and so I remember, like, doing something ridiculous, like taking out my wallet and my car keys and, like, pushing it to the center of the table and saying, look, like, this is what it's going to cost potentially, if you want to go down this road. But if you want to, great, I'm, I'm, let's roll, let's go, let's just do something, uh, let's get going. And everybody's like looking around like, can we send this guy back? Like, what, what is this guy's deal? Like, is there a warranty? Do we get like a, like a, you know, a lemon law period on this guy? Uh, and why? Everyone's confused. Why? Because I'd walked a path and there was pain there. And so I did something that you should never do and say, tell God, no, no. I don't want to walk down that pathway. And so I'm, I'm fighting, I'm struggling with God around this, like, man, the last time you invited me down this path, God, it, it, didn't, it didn't work. Why would you invite me to be part of this again? But fast forward to a, uh, to a few weeks ago, and uh, Joe Fennessy uh, had just two days prior accepted uh, the offer to lead at one of our church campuses, and he happens to be Korean. And so uh, we are part as a church of uh, a 
uh, racial reconciliation network of pastors who meet together from different ethnic backgrounds to just simply be in relationship with each other, to experience this John 17 unity, uh, and, and to really be able to learn from one another, to be an encouragement to one another, and to model, uh, again, th this stuff that, that I'm talking about right now. And so I invite Joe. I said, hey, I know that you haven't even started yet, but do you want to come to this lunch uh, that's happening? And so Again, two days after signing the software letter, we're sitting down at lunch, and I'm sharing a version of this story that I just told you. And I realize something as I'm sharing this. Again, the script that I told myself is, this is for somebody else to do. And I tried to say, no, I don't want to walk down this road. But I'm so grateful that maybe a little bit kicking and screaming, I learned to surrender what I wanted to do and follow God to something that was uncharted, follow God in something that I didn't know how we were going to build this, what it looked like to move forward. And so I'm sitting here uh, again uh, at this moment where we, we kind of are crossing the Jordan in a way, so to speak, uh, of reflecting the beauty and diversity in the church that, that we're hoping for. And I could have missed it. And I just shared that, man, I just thought this would be for somebody else I wouldn't get to experience it. And I think started to get a little emotional, a little overwhelming thinking that God used what to me at the time just looked like a season of pain to prepare for a future harvest of righteousness. And then, and then Joe goes on to share a similar story of like, man, I just like, yeah, I was like, no, forget this. I just want to go to a, a Korean church, right? And, and then God leading him to know, be committed to building this beautiful multi-ethnic expression of the local church right here in Pierce County, okay? And so why do I share that story with you? I share that story because we often want to grab the steering wheel. God's, God's inviting us to go down a path and we're like, nope, like this way. First of all, like that's a bad idea. Like you are going to end up in a worse place when you try and like wrestle for control of the steering wheel with the creator of the universe, okay? But here's the thing. God's not going to force any of us to go down the road that he wants us to. We have to willingly choose. But when we do, man, there are good things in store for us. And so we hope that you will learn to daily surrender so that you can, like Joshua, step into the good things that God has in store for you. And in fact, if you're joining us right now, and there's an area of your life that you want to just, man— you want to step into and be strong and courageous and know that the Lord, uh, our God, is with you. Man, would you reach out to us? Would you message us right now? We would love to set up a time to pray with you specifically about whatever challenge or whatever opportunities before you that you could feel strengthened and encouraged to step into that, to surrender your ways to God's ways. Okay, that is where the path of discipleship will take us, and that is where the goodness of God and his presence can be discovered, and that's what we want to discover together. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you'll be back next week as we continue in our series on discipleship, living out in everyday spirituality for everyone. Thanks for joining the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified for all future episodes. Be sure to connect with us on socials at Rainier View CC and find out more about us at rainierview.org.